0: Beaver nation. It's time to get inside the huddle with the damn podcast. The damn podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the damn podcast. beaverblitz.com publisher, Angie Machado.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the damn podcast. I'm your host Angie Machado with me as always, is Beaver Blitz senior writer and editor Carter Baines. Carter, I just saw you like a few hours ago. It is Monday. We had a very early morning today flying back from LA. How are you doing?
0: I have just arisen from a very peaceful midday slumber. Um, <laughs> quick, you know, quick power nap to, to recover from a very early morning. We left our hotel at what, 5.15
1: a.m.? Yeah, I think I think my alarm Something went like off like four thirty this morning. Uh, so. I woke up.
0: I woke up at four fifteen and wasn't too thrilled. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. It so, was worth uh, it
0: though. It was. It was. It was awesome. Yes. Yeah, so let's just
1: it. let's jump in because we both got back um, kind of this morning, and uh, well, you took a nap. I had to, you know, unpack and and go to the store to buy some food for the house. But um, let's let's just recap. You were there in. You spent an entire week down in LA. You flew out last Monday. Um, let's just start right there. Let's talk about your experience with the bowl game. I know it's your first, first bowl experience. Let's, let's hear about it.
0: Uh, probably one of the most fun weeks I've ever had, just generally speaking. It was, it was an absolute blast. Um, first of all, I mean, to get out of Oregon and and this dreary weather that we came back to for a week. And while the first three or four days that I was down in LA were, you know, on the cooler and, and wetter side as well, um. The, uh, the remainder of our time there and, and pretty much the entire time you were there was nice and sunny, mid sixties. And I know it's, that's the case again down there today, but on, outside of that, um, being at SoFi stadium three times in, in the week and, you know, walking around the halls there and, you know, going down onto the field on game day, that was incredible. And then just everything else that comes with, you know, being in LA and staying uh, in Inglewood There's, there's all sorts of stuff to do. And I know that there was never a dull moment, especially, especially once more and more and more people started showing up, um, for the first couple of days, it was a very small media presence, but
1: yeah, it was like a couple of days. It was just you and Nick Daschle. And then Mm -hmm. Nick wasn't there for a couple of days. It was like you alone, I think, um, kind of by yourself. And then, then we rolled into town and, and some other media members showed up, but not a huge media presence as a whole.
0: No, but kind of about what we expected. You know, as, as we say, the usual suspects were there. Um, but a fun group, you know, that, that you and I hung out with for, you know, hours on end while we were all there and spent time together at practice down at El Camino College. Uh, and then, of course, game day. So it was, it was also fun that we were all kind of in the same hotel. You and your family were across the street, but uh, the rest of the media members were all at the, at the Marriott at LAX. So we spent a decent amount of time at the hotel bar and in the lobby and, um, you know, just kind of taking it all in.
1: Yeah, that was, you know, I haven't been to a bowl game since 2004. So Eric was covering the bowl games that the Beavers made when the kids were little. Um, so it was fun. We, this was our boys first trip to a bowl game. And so the whole family came team Machado, we referred to ourselves as, and Carter was an and honorary, an honorary member. member. Yes. Honorary member of team Machado. We flew in Thursday, um, out of Eugene. So, um, gosh, shout out to Eugene airport. And there's not much I like about Eugene typically, but that airport kind of kicked kicked ass, um, easy in easy out. Yes, I did swear and I'm tired. So just, just roll with it. Um, no, I, I was really impressed. And so, um, you know, I think the kids had fun. We did, we stayed down the street, but how great was it to be able to meet so many Beaver Blitz fans um beaver blitz members see so many beaver fans um and like i said you got to take in practice which was was pretty sweet um because we hadn't seen a practice since uh fall camp um and yeah being at sofi and i i do have to say it, w- it was kind of fun because there's a a group of the media that's a little younger kind of carter's age in that early to mid-20s age group and you let us us older folks hang out with you and uh, i think we all had a, a blast and uh little meet and greet at that Marriott on Friday night after the pep rally. Um, I think it was a nice indoctrination to LA and, uh, LA prices when you're paying $16, $17 for a beer at the pep rally, but, um, that you
0: don't even get to finish because they kick you out half an hour in because yeah, let's talk about the I mean, pep
1: rally. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, let's, I so think, let's, I think it needs know, I think, to be, I,
1: I think, I think this is important because I think, i, I, I want to give our fans kind of a, an idea it's It's not all fun and games first of all, I mean Carter and I had a blast and our family Sid. but um last week might have been the busiest week for you and I that we've had in a year or two because should not we only just were- should
0: we just go day by day here and kind yeah, of I mean, take everyone through what we went through
1: as, I mean, we don't need to bore them completely, but I mean you flew down Wednesday or Monday. Yeah. you had regular I mean not only bowl stuff, but you had our reg- we had a regular game week. Um, content that we put out. So you are handling all of that and traveling and, and doing all the things that go along with that while I was gearing up for signing day, which um, it was a smaller class, but still it's an early morning. It's a lot of content that we we put out. I think we had 15 content items on Wednesday between the two of us. Um,
0: so let's let's just say too Wednesday was probably my busiest day ever working at Blitz. Um, here's, here's my itinerary for Wednesday. So just so everyone's aware what, what was going on behind the scenes at, at Blitz, because like you said, we did have a ton of content. So 8 a.m., we're on a Zoom call with... That's
1: right. That's um, right. I forgot about the Zoom calls.
0: Right. So 8 a.m., we're on a Zoom call with Brian Lindgren, Nathan Eldridge, and then a couple of representatives from Utah State. Not too long after that, uh, I head over to El Camino College to watch practice, we had a couple of interviews afterwards. Meanwhile, Angie was back home working um, on our signing day capsules, the get to know you features.
1: Wait, and I got up at six a.m. for that.
0: That's true. Just, That's true. Yes. So actually, yeah, you got an earlier start than I did. Um, I, I get back from practice, put together a little practice report. Um, and then at, what was it, 2, 2.30, Jonathan Smith hops on a Zoom call with us and goes down the line of all of the, the signees and. You know, we're talking signing day and all of that, and so I've we from that point on did some content based off of what he said. Uh, so I think I think I said I went nonstop from about eight a.m. to six p.m. before I allowed myself to take a break. So not tooting my own horn or anything, I'm just saying that's that was yeah, that was that's what happens when signing day is the same week as a bowl
1: game. As A bowl game, yeah. It it was a little crazy Thursday. Then, like I said, we got up early, drove down to Eugene, flew down, met Carter. I think we did a quick run to in and out and then um, Trader Joe's Trader Joe's we did get some food for the room and then yeah it was back we I think we met in our room and kind of game planned the week
0: and happy hour
1: and happy hour we did have a happy hour in Team Machado Team Machado suite <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um. and this was interesting because the typically bowl games we go to has a media media room at the team hotel or at the media hotel plus a hospitality room and there was no such thing for this bowl so well um technically there was was. a media room but nobody knew where it was
0: and yeah even the hotel employees didn't even know what the sme east room was yes Uh, and then once we found the the mysterious sme uh the The employees at the social market and eatery didn't even know that there was a media room in their own restaurant. So yes,
1: Yes. and no no hospitality suite. So there was that. They didn't they did have
0: bottled water.
1: They did. They they (laughs) did. Um, oh, and then Thursday when we flew in before we ran to In N Out, a little bit of excitement because like we are driving from Burbank Airport and Carter texts me and says, You'll never guess. The Kansas City Chiefs are staying at our hotel. Because they were getting ready to go play the Chargers at SoFi, so Carter is out there with all these Chiefs fans. And as we drove by, the team buses were all there, and he did get a quick video of Mahomes getting on the bus. Kind of exciting that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were at that hotel. Um, and then let's just kind of fast forward. Friday um, was some. We did some work, and then there was the big pep rally. Well,
0: well there was we also had availability the, availability yeah press at, conference with the head coaches at SoFi,
1: and then. Um, and can i just go off a little bit on how we, fun yeah, it was we, to listen to well I, oh, I, gonna, I thought
0: i thought you were going to go off on how unprepared un- everything
1: yeah was. it was it was really uncoordinated it was you know an email telling you to go to the vip entry so carter eric and i are at the vip entry at 11 they don't have our name on a list so then we stand there oh yeah we're sending someone up to get you it doesn't happen so then they tell us to go to gate 10 i think i was putting in like five or six miles a day just walking around the silly stadium but it it all worked out and Blake Anderson kind of I mean I've seen some comparisons to the other Anderson that coached both teams Um, but really I kind of enjoyed talking and listening to him I I think he had some good things to say and um, you know coach Smith doesn't seem to really he doesn't appear to super enjoy media conferences but um, coach Blake Anderson he didn't mind them but then we we did the pep rally um huge and i talked to some people on saturday at at the at the um tailgate and i don't know if beaver nation was really truly aware of everything that went down because we got to the tailgate and it was kind of in the in this kind of courtyardy area between the it was
0: U- the uh, the american airlines plaza
1: plaza okay so, so the plaza part of part YouTube of the arena complex. and so but it's all part yeah. of it um so we get there they had a few food trucks set up. Um, the Utah state band was playing and then Oregon state band kind of comes in and played like a couple songs. And then it was like, okay, thanks for coming. See you later. And I Carter and Eric had just got their $17 beers and were eating their tacos. I think when it was like, Oh, and, and you gotta go, you gotta go now because it's over. Um, but fans, I don't think understood what the band and the cheerleaders went through. And I know Carter, you were following this on Twitter. You want to give uh, the listeners kind of a rundown of what the band and cheerleaders went through trying to get down.
0: Yeah, so they drove down. Well, I don't even know what day they left. I, I do know that they got there Friday, right as the pep rally was starting. In fact, they they walked in and, and they did a little warm up um, at the American Airlines Plaza, as you know, we're in the middle of this pep rally, and they start playing some scales and stuff to get all warmed up. But um, yeah, so they they bus down. Um, I I don't know how many buses they took, but at least one of them broke down. They had some a, a flat tire issue. Um, they got stuck in Medford, I believe, because I five was closed due to snow in in Northern California. Um, so it took them. I I don't like I said. I don't know what day they left, but it took them quite a bit longer than I think they they had anticipated.
1: Yeah, it was it was quite the the ordeal. So let's talk and then we then we'll kind of go we went back after the the pep rally and had at the at the marriott kind of a, a real casual no host uh meet and greet so it was fun to meet some some beaver blitz members and and just some beaver fans that aren't beaver blitz members we met some folks that really hadn't been connected with oregon state football for years and and were there and um had a few few little cocktails and enjoyed um the festivities there and and even media members came and hung out with us it was it was a fun evening um and then Saturday game day, we had you know a couple tailgates, and then Carter and I kind of made our way. And the tailgates were great, great fun, great turnout. I, I think I was most impressed with the turnout. I, I really didn't know what to expect from you know Oregon State side, but lots of orange, um, lots of fans. So that was huge props to Oregon State fans for for showing up and turning out. Um, and then it was SoFi, which was unreal. Carter and I were blown away. So after having no food in the press box at research all day long. Or all all season long. So if I had like meal for us before the game and then snacks at halftime. Um, great little like a, a like a
0: multi multi-course meal. Like they they brought out one round um, of you know warm food on the on the platters and then they had the you know like a <clears throat> like a cooler almost where they had like sandwiches, fruit, candy, coffee, water. Um, but then they brought out a second round of food. Which I was disappointed about because I was going back for seconds of that incredible gnocchi, which oh, was so good. I, which Angie and I agreed was <laughs> probably the best pasta just generally we had ever had. Restaurant I homemade the Jimmy Kimmel,
1: dinner. The the Jimmy Kimmel sandwich that they were they were you know pouting up. Which I'm not. I liked it.
0: Be, I liked it more than you did.
1: Yeah, I mean it was good, but um, yeah, that gnocchi was unreal. But
0: and I'm sitting here with my um my so yes, stadium, aluminum. aluminum solo cup
1: um it was was pretty good um the wi-fi worked which i mean even at um century link up in seattle we had problems with that years ago and um i know it was a great experience all the way around that jumbotron circular tv they had um it that was an entirely cool experience and to be in that stadium but let's we have talked for you know 15 minutes now about kind of leading up to it but let's talk about the game a little bit because Oregon state came out gangbusters. I think what the first 58 seconds, they go down the field score. And you, we looked at Carter and I looked at each other and we're like, all right, it's going to be good. And then,
0: and then the wheels fell off
1: and then the wheels fell off. Um, just give me your thoughts on the offense, because I really think that's where the Beavers struggled the most. I, I have seen a lot of on social media and people kind of bad mouthing the defense, but the defense held a really good offense to, um, you know under their average in yards and and points but let's talk about the offense because I don't think any of us expected that
0: yeah i I, I agree with you a lot of people are kind of putting the loss on the defense and, and I think it's the other way around and surprisingly it started with the offensive line which as a group I think had its worst game of the year um, by far yeah to to allow uh, I mean Nick hanninger alone had I believe it ended up being six or um three sacks and either five or six tackles for loss by himself on top of uh, everybody else on that front seven, which don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a reason that that front seven is one of the top teams in the country at at making plays in the backfield. they they had over a hundred tackles for loss, I think for the year, which is, I mean, just, uh, I mean, that's like, that's a ludicrous number. Um, So I I think I expected it to be a tough matchup the o-line but i figured a group that's nominated as a finalist for the joe moore award which dominated usc in the trenches which held its own against utah uh, for long enough to win that game i i was pretty shocked to be honest to see them just get manhandled and then and then get in their own head a little bit too with false start penalties and um i think I I don't really know what to make of it. It was just it was just an off day for that group, and I think the rest of the offense struggled as a result.
1: Yeah, tight end struggled to block. Um, that left side of the line struggled at times, um, and and you know it's going to happen from time to time. I just didn't expect it to be, you know, basically the entire game that they they struggled. Um, and and when they did move the ball, then they would have a, a penalty or something that would would back them up and and take them out of contention for the drive, install the drive, but. Um, yeah it's a it's an interesting it's a, it was an interesting take on that defensively you know what are you what are your thoughts
0: well as as we both said i, I think the defense played a lot better in our opinions than people were giving them credit for um they held utah state to, to 24 points which i mean 24 might not seem like you know an, an incredibly impressive number but utah state averaged nearly double that per game. I mean this is an offense that was averaging uh, like almost 40 points per game. I think they just hung almost 50 on San Diego State, which is an incredible defense in the Mountain West Championship game. Um it's one of the best passing offenses in the country. And we know that, you know, Logan Bonner did go down with an injury midway through the game and and we can maybe talk about um you know, a third string quarterback coming in and having a bunch of success. But Devin Tompkins, we knew, was going to create some matchup problems on the outside. Calvin Tyler Jr., we, like we said, we we know what he's capable of from his Oregon State days, uh, even though he didn't necessarily get on the field much. We saw him in practice. Um, So I, I think for Oregon State to be able to contain all of those elements to 24 points, um, and forced three turnovers as well. I thought was huge. Catano Ladapo with that incredible interception to get his toe down uh, on the sideline late in the game to, to give the Beavers a chance. I mean, they made some big plays. Achille Arnold's interception in, in the end zone was, um, I, I think probably the best play of his career. I, I thought that there was a lot of great individual play. Um, and I think as a group, they they played a lot better than people, than people really gave him credit for.
1: Yeah. What, what do you want to see? Um, you know, now that the season's over and we'll, we'll have another pod here in a, in a week or two when we actually go back and recap the entire season, but just your instant analysis, what would you like to see knee jerk reaction to, uh, for the Beavers for 2022?
0: I think just, you know, personal wise, filling, filling the gaps on the roster via the transfer portal, um, we go back to the defensive line all the time, but I think it's obvious that you still need some help there. Um, That's one thing that, you know, I just talked up the defense, but the one thing that held that group back in the bowl game and and really throughout the entire year was the lack of pass rush Uh, and losing Andre Hughes-Murray at outside outside linebacker is going to hurt that too, because he was one of the most disruptive players on this roster. Um, And so if you lose that, and you have a defensive line that has not been able to get much push over the last four or five years, um, you're going to need some help right away. And I think that, you know, Oregon state did what it, what it needed to um, on signing day, bringing in Matthias Malachi Donaldson, uh, bringing Andrew Chatfield before that. Uh, but I think there more, more talent needs to come uh, between now and, and the beginning of next season.
1: Okay. So let's talk about that. So in the, in the meantime, between, when we taped last week's pod and today coach Smith went ahead and took the interim label off of Trent Bray. He is the defensive coordinator going forward. Oregon state still has a, a coaching position to fill. So my, my, I know, I know this is a, a damn, a damn question here, but if, if I had to bet my odds on favorite would be ekaika Mallow from Washington, filling that spot. Do you like what he brings from a recruiting standpoint?
0: I think it'd be huge. And any guy that um, comes from that Washington defensive staff, I mean, you know, what they've had talent wise, um, the the production that they have proven on the field for a very long time. I think anytime you could get a coach from that staff, uh, it's, that'd be a great addition. And I think with that could come uh, an influx of transfers. Like I was just Mm -hmm. saying um, there, there are guys on that defense that I would love to see in an Oregon state uniform. And anytime an assistant coach, um, with with the recruiting profile that he has, um, makes a move, you often see one or two guys follow him.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've already seen Sam Taimani Ty- in the portal <laughs> bring him on board somehow, some way. Um, I really thought Keontae Ch- Chad made huge strides, um, you know, this um, season as the season wore on. So, yeah, I, I think the transfer portal D line. Okay breaking Carter. I'm sorry to kind of interrupt what we were talking about, but um, just got word that true freshman quarterback, Sam Vidlak has entered the transfer portal. This one shocks me some, and I can tell by the expression on your face, you're shocked too.
0: I, that came out of nowhere. That I did, not, I did not see that coming. I, I don't, I is speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I, Huh. I
1: mean, if you would have told me Jebbia was transferring, I don't know. So there's got to be more to the story. We'll have to do some digging. But
0: we'll we'll get to the bottom of it. But that
1: during fall camp,
0: that hurts. It, I mean yeah. that, that hurts.
1: Spring. I mean, spring, we we both were really high on Vidlock and Ben Bobrantz on the two freshmen.
0: I mean, I, I still I still I mean, up until about 20 seconds ago, had it penciled in as a, a potential starter next year. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know. That, you know, brings up a question. We got several questions on on Blitz, and it was which players with eligibility remaining do we know are leaving the program? So now we add Sam Bidlock to the list. But so far, it was just Tegan Quatoriano, who's trying his luck with the NFL and um, Avery Roberts, NFL bound, correct?
0: Yes, just yeah, just those two. Sorry, I'm still trying to wrap my head around
1: this one
0: but yeah i mean but yes 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 just those two tegan um tegan and avery uh have declared and then everybody that was listed as a senior or redshirt senior now their eligibility has expired
1: okay so anybody else that we're thinking potentially could
0: well i i think we kind of have our eyes on bj baylor as as another guy um the bowl game, you know, I, I think was kind of an opportunity for him to boost his stock a little bit, national TV, maybe get some recognition there. But if we're being honest, he, he just didn't have a great game. Um, and if he was banking on on the bowl game as kind of, you know, a booster for his stock, if, if that was, you know, going to help him in his decision, I think maybe you see him come back. But I, I would I can't fault him for, for moving on if he makes that decision because I do think that he's done enough to get a shot somewhere. Um you don't just lead the Pac-12 in in rushing yards by accident. You know, he he proved that he's that he's a very capable rusher. And with the shelf life of running backs nowadays, um, you know, what what are the odds that he comes back and, and does something to improve his stock versus, you know, suffer an injury? So
1: we did get good news though that the day you covered practice in that Josh Gray is coming back. So that's, yep. that's official. We have not uh, And that was up. a big one. That, that was, was a, a big one. one
0: because you're already losing Nathan Eldridge and, and Nuskay Ogunum uh, to graduation. You know, they've, they've been here forever, but they're finally moving on, um, exhausted their eligibility. So the left side of the line will remain intact. And I would imagine Jake Levingood will probably slide over to center. Um, but having your left tackle back who, as a redshirt freshman, was actually draft eligible um, up until the bowl game, you know, I, I think he was arguably the second best player on the line behind Eldridge. So getting him back is, is massive to, to keep some continuity at that position.
1: And yeah, we haven't heard about Brandon Kipper yet, but um, it'd be great if somehow the Bears could keep him in the mix as well, um, because looking, looking at the defense, especially the defense brings almost everyone back. Um, so that'll be, that'll be big. And then offensively, if they can somehow bring the majority of those, the lineman back, that could be really, really important.
0: Another guy on, on the defensive side that we still have our eyes on is Rajon Wright, who I, I'm fairly confident will return now. Everything
1: I've been hearing is that he will return, but yeah, there, um,
0: there was some, some speculation and, you know, I think he was 50, 50 earlier in the year. Um, but I, I expect him to be back now.
1: And then get Alton Julian back, hopefully from his injury. Yeah. Uh, that would be really, and a couple really of
0: players who who didn't play this year, John McCartan and Isaac Hodgins will right. theoretic- theoretically both be back from injury. And McCarten helps out, as I was saying, at, at outside linebacker losing Andre Hughes Murray. Um, that's a guy who, you know, when he's healthy, he's proven that he can contribute. And Isaac Hodgins, we all know that coming into this year, he was the most experienced player on that defense and was, you know, kind of a, kind of a source of consistency on the defensive line, which Oregon state, as we know, needs desperately. Sorry. I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head
1: around this this
0: thing. I I keep checking my phone and I I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm almost speechless.
1: Yeah. That one kind of threw us both for a curve because we kind of just, we we jumped in here with that. Let's talk about the bowl game. Um, we, we are going to kind of postpone all the, the year end coaching grades player grades till um, kind of the end of the year. Um, but I, we did want to get in and talk about this and then uh, the Vidlock news kind of hit and kind of kind of just threw us a little bit of a curveball but I, I do want to jump into some damn questions. Um, some really good questions and some of these I do want to save for, um, you know, right before New Year's when we talk about the entire season I, I see know, end of the year, Beaver coaching grades. Um, we already talked about coaching higher, um, kind of what we kind of, my gut, what my gut tells me. Um, players, but let's talk about Tristan Jebia Since we are talking quarterbacks, um, you did see him participate um, at bowl game practice. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Yes. Um, in the moment, I, I held that one behind a wall because, you know, Jonathan Smith, Asked that we didn't report on injuries at, at practice, but I, I will say uh, Tristan Jebbia looked pretty healthy. Um, I, I saw him taking reps and he didn't look limited at all doing his drawbacks. And, you know, he was, he was throwing some deep balls. So I think he, as, as the season progressed, started to get a little healthier, but there was no way he was ever going to play this year with, with just how long it took him to bounce back from uh, the setback he, he suffered uh, in, in, what was it late august i guess
1: yeah so um i mean he'll be back in the mix yeah Carter and i are both a little shell-shocked with the Vidlack news
0: well and and that's big now too that that tristan appears to be making some progress because at first I, I think you and i both thought that one of the younger guys would probably at least jump him and then compete with chance for the starting spot um but now that vidlock is out of the equation I think that, that helps Jebbia's cause a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, that, so thro- the- that throws him back in the mix for a, a quarterback competition this spring, in, in my opinion.
1: So let's talk a little about chance too. Um, has Oregon State ever had a quarterback that fans have more of a love-hate relationship with?
0: It's a good question. I, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's been a few, but like it, it is totally, you just don't know what Chance Nolan's showing up on game day there's, there's the chance that completes 75% of his throws tosses a couple touchdowns. And then there's the one who's right around 50% and throws a couple picks.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a love hate relationship. I think with, with him. Um, I mean, he has a super, like we've talked about before high ceiling, low basement. Um, Okay. Here's it. Matt Schiaffoni has a, a question. If you could pick between the Beavs getting a new D line coach, a DB coach, or a wide receiver coach, which would which would help the program more.
0: D line coach. Enough
1: okay. said. Okay, I see. I might disagree with you. I mean, I, while I agree with you in theory, I'm not sold on the current wide receiver coach because I think if there is one group that has underperformed based on their talent alone, it would be the wide receivers. I would say I think the D line. D-line recruiting is not there and it's not up to par, but that's
0: where I was going to go next.
1: But if you look at what you have in that wide receiver room and what they're, what they've accomplished, I would say they could stand to have an upgrade.
0: That's a good point. And that's something I think we can kind of dive into a little bit um, as we enter the off season is, you know, what groups exceeded expectations, what groups didn't meet expectations and wide receivers have to be I, unfortunately this has kind of been the case for a few years now where I think we've kind of talked up the receiving core and everything we've seen from them in practice suggests, well, they've got a bunch of guys. Um, once again, I, I think they, they just kind of struggled to, to meet what we had expected from them. So that's, I think that's, that's a good idea for something that we can kind of tackle as we start this off season.
1: Yeah because, and I, like I said, it's hard to disagree with D line as well, but, um, with this off season to prepare, what will the defense look like next year under Trent Bray? Three, four, four, three, or you think something entirely different?
0: Both. You'll see both. Um, he was, he was actually asked about that. Uh, what was it? The week leading up to the bowl. Right? I, I, want to say, um, he, he wants to, to throw a bunch of different looks at opposing offenses and, that, you know, is something that Oregon State hasn't done under the Jonathan Smith, Tim Tibisar reign. Um, so I think that it could inject some new life in the defense. Um, when, when you think about the groups that Oregon State has struggled against in the past, it's the ones that are throwing exotic blitz, blitz packages and, and using different, you know, different um, formations in, in the front seven. That's what's given Oregon State fits. And if, if they kind of counter it and use that same approach, I think they could have some, maybe some more success with the, um, with the talent that that's currently on campus. Okay. Cause I think that's, that's part of it. I, I think, you know, if your defensive line doesn't quite have the level of talent that you're looking for, you need to make up for it schematically. And I trust that Trent Bray will be able to do that.
1: Yeah. I think, I think we're going to see a lot more aggression on, on defense. Like you said, exotic blitz packages sounds fancy. <laughs> um, hopeful Beeve says, how concerned should we be with the beavers inability to win on the road? We talked about this this morning, bright And early. Yeah,
0: this was actually one of the first things we talked about at 5. AM yes. was, uh, Oregon state, won one singular game away from research stadium this year. And it was at USC. Uh, so they went, what would that make them one in five in true road games and Oh, and one in neutral games, six and O oh at home yeah so crazy i i guess you know we we asked the coaches and players throughout the year is there anything to this you know you've you've had so much success at home but then you go and lose to cal and and colorado on the road that was that was when the questions started coming up you know we said is like are are you having trouble psyching yourself up to play on the road is it the travel itself uh and they said you know to be honest we we don't know (laughs) um so it's, it's interesting, but it, it truly was. Um, I, I, I don't even know what to make of it.
1: Yeah. I I, LA has always been a tough one for Oregon state historically with USC and UCLA, because so many players are from that area. And I think there's so many distractions with family stopping by the team hotel, um, seeing, you know, friends that pop in. Um, I do think that can be a hindrance and, and, and the bowl game as well. Um, I know Oregon State used their allotment of of player tickets, player and coaches tickets, because so many family and and friends wanted to be down there for it. Um, But that can also be a distraction too. Um, because So Hopeful Beave again then says, uh, Utah State looked like the more practice team. How can Jonathan Smith better balance bowl practice and recruiting in future years? Seems like a bit of a waste to only get seven more practices at the end of the season. I think this is going to be addressed on several fronts and that's early signing period, because not only do you have bowls that teams are trying to prepare for, um, that's become the big coaching circus. So I, I, I have a feeling the a is going to look at this a little closer and we might see a change to this early signing period as a whole.
0: I think we talked about this on the pod last week too, we if did. I remember right, as we were kind of previewing signing day, I'm I'm all for eliminating early signing day for the reasons we just outlined. And, um, and like I said last week, you don't have to do away with it completely, but just move it to move it to the beginning of fall camp or, or something like that. Just, just, there's no reason that it should be in December. No, it, exactly. it really just, it, it complicates things. It creates chaos. And well, I, I don't know, maybe the NCAA likes it because it gives them more attention. I, I mean, We know how many problems there are within that organization but if they truly have the student athletes best interest in mind and and quite frankly the coaches too um they they need to get rid of it i think yeah
1: yeah because the idea was for for high school prospects to sign a lot of them want to sign before even before their season begins they get it done they're out of the way Um, so by bumping an early signing period basically a, a month or six weeks ahead of um the regular one it doesn't really make sense Um, but then again, if I had a a son that was going to sign early, um, and I had them sign in August, I don't know if that's necessarily good either, because then we see what happens in late November and December with the the coaching carousel. So I don't know, maybe you go back to February and
0: I mean, you could, and I mean, I hesitate to say they'll ever do this, but you could almost create a schedule like you see in, in professional sports where you put a moratorium on in pro sports, you put a moratorium on, you know, free agent signings for a certain period. I I think it would make sense to do that with, with coaching changes. Um, You know, just say there's a moratorium until January 10th or whenever the national championship is and say, you can't officially hire a coach. I mean, I don't know how they could even enforce that, but it's, it's something that they could look at just, you know, schedule things out a little bit more to, to prevent this overlap because I mean, we know how chaotic the last few weeks have been. And I, I just don't think that that's good for, I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being a curmudgeon
1: Yeah, to, to use a
0: word from your vocabulary.
1: I know because that's, I, I felt like I was a little bit of the curmudgeon during this, this pesky kids get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm really not, I'm kind of fun sometimes. Right, Carter? Sometimes I can, I yes,
0: that's true. I mean, we had a
1: great time in LA. Sometimes. OK, so yeah, Buff has some good ones, but um, we're going to pick and choose here. Is Lindgren a must keep or do you think Coach Smith should uh, seek a potential upgrade at offensive coordinator?
0: This question strikes me as not necessarily overreaction, but I think maybe a, maybe a bit of recency bias where, you know, you're coming off of a game where um, you're, you're not performing to the level you expected against a Mountain West team. And, and maybe, you know, you, you question his play calling ability a little bit, but I think when you look at the the full season, the, the body of work that Oregon state put together this year, I mean, it was one of the best offensive seasons in school history and that's coming off of the two prior seasons, which were also the two best, you know, two of the best offensive seasons statistically. And then you just look at some of the talent they've produced and you know what they are, what they were able to do at the offensive line position. Um, I more often than not, I'm more blown away by probably, Brian Lindgren's play calling, um, genius than I am by his shortcomings. So I, I would be, I'd be shocked if he was a a casualty of the coaching carousel.
1: Um, jump drive has a question about, do you think coach Bray is going to have a say-so in who coach Smith hires for the defensive side coaches?
0: Probably. I mean, that's, you know, he's in charge of those guys, so to speak. So I, I would at least hope that he has a pretty strong input
1: here's here's another good one another coaching and I, we'll talk more about coaching but i think it's such a hot topic right now reaser b23 says i think we have some attrition in the coaching staff do you think we are going to see some upgrades to the staff and who would you say did maybe well the worst job as as an assistant coach
0: well, this is a good point, too, because the outside of Blue Adams, all of the assistant contracts are up at the end of this season. Yeah. Trent Bray not included. I I believe he probably got a new contract when he was elevated to uh, permanent defensive coordinator. Yeah. So that, you know, that leaves everybody but Blue Adams, uh, Trent Bray, and then Jonathan Smith himself kind of as, as a free agent, so to speak.
1: Um, I, I think Coach I, Stewart, I, too. I think he's safe
0: that's he a good was point. just brought on that's a good one point. year ago.
1: So I think it was either a two or three year deal he signed, but regardless okay. there's, there's the so most
0: of team. them, most yeah. of them are up. Um, we, we will obviously see a new linebackers coach. It, it'll be interesting. You know, the positions that we've talked about for so long, um, being the weaker ones, you know, at, at D line, maybe that's, if you're going to make a shakeup on the coaching staff, I think you do it when the contracts expire. So maybe you, Maybe you see a a quote-unquote upgrade there. Um, You mentioned receivers. I I suppose that's one that you could look at as well, but those are probably the only two position coaches I could see a a, a change coming in. Yeah,
1: because you're not getting rid of Coach Mihalicek. You're not getting rid of uh, Coach Waz. They they better not. Yeah. yeah. See, and I think I've talked about this. My have to keep coach is Mihalicek. Hands down, that's the one you keep. Even though the, the O-line had probably their worst game of the year. Um, okay. My last question, and this was on Twitter a couple of times, and, and then I'm going to let you go because I know you have some work to do as well, but okay. So at the beginning of the season, I remember sitting here talking with you and fans also weighed in that if the Beeves could make a bowl game, they would be happy. Okay. Bees won seven games this year and we have Beaver fans wringing, wringing their hands over it. Do you think it's a matter of expectations and goalposts maybe changing? Do you think it's the reason? I mean, the the hand wringing is because they lost to like teams such as Cal, Colorado, um, you know, some of these games that they probably shouldn't have lost to. You know, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, the goalpost the goalposts certainly did change, and it's because they, they they won so many games to start the year and then lost those games, as you said, to, to teams that they. Probably should have beaten, um, and you know, we we talk about looking back on our expectations and and wish lists for the season and say, oh yeah, you know, seven wins we'd be thrilled. Um, the goalposts change for a reason, and when you beat teams like even in a down year, Washington, USC, um, these traditional Pac-12 powers, it's demoralizing to see your team lose to the the traditional bottom dwellers in the conference. Um, so I, I, think it's fair to be a little upset that Oregon state didn't end up at nine and four instead of seven and six, but in the grand scheme of things, Oregon state made progress this year, did something that it hadn't done since 2013. And again, lived up to the expectations and, and hopes and, and wishes that we all had going into the year. So while there were some disappointing moments throughout the year, there were also some really exciting moments, beating Utah, beating ASU. Um, I think as a whole, this is a season that you look at and you say that was a, a success.
1: There you go. I do too. I mean, I some of those sting. I, I think uh, the, the woulda, coulda, shoulda in me thinks about some of those losses and Cal, I think just flat out beat them, but the, the Colorado game really kind of sticks and Washington state, actually, those two bosses kind of stick, but, um, yeah, I, I think there's some, definitely some areas to grow on and some build on. Um, and I think ex- expectations are going to be way higher next season, but I just want to say Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you, Carter, your family, and all of uh, Beaver blitz family and the damn podcast family. Carter and I will be, we have plenty of content planned for the next couple of weeks and we'll be back in the next probably 10 days, maybe right around the new year to uh, do a recap of the entire season. And that's where we're really going to get in and dig in coaches, recruiting, standouts, all of it. So um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the damn podcast.